You just missed a home run. I missed out on an incredible deal you were offering at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. It just started. You can get beautiful Pella Windows and pay no interest for four years. Visit PellaWI.com. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So very glad to have you with us. Hope you had a great weekend. Once again, special thanks to all the people here at WTMJ and the folks at Summerfest for actually making a a three-week run at Summerfest to be as absolutely seamless as it could possibly be. And we all had a great time down there. People... This weekend, we're asking me extensively what I thought about the new format, the the three weekends, Thursday through Saturday, instead of the, you know, 11 days pretty much back to back. And my answer is, I don't know. My my answer is, you know, Melissa Barkley, what did you think? I, uh, to be honest with you, I love it. Okay. I love it, but I get if you are used to tradition, obviously for years and years and years, it was the 11-day mm-hmm. festival and you're used to taking time off and all this kind of stuff, but I enjoyed the the weekends because I had three weekends where I knew there was something to do and mm-hmm. I could just go do it and have fun. Well, and obviously that's, I mean, that that's the thinking, and, and I, I appreciate that. At, at the same time, somebody who I went to Summerfest with it, it said that it seems like the the momentum sometimes you get from the festival it was just it was a different feel and i'm not saying better or worse it was just kind of different because normally the old format where you start on a thursday and you go pretty much through you sort of build up momentum that's true and mm-hmm. and, and you you lost that so i i don't i don't know i, I think my guess is they do the same thing next year as they did this year simply because this year, it, it's sort of an aberration. You lost the Justin Bieber show. So if you're kind of looking at attendance, and that's the first time in, what, decades that they've had the main stage dark. So yeah. that the amphitheater dark. So that affects attendance. And I still don't think we're quite over the pandemic as far as people going out. I would agree with you. I think the weather was nearly perfect yep. for the three weekends. So that was on their side. Um, I thought they had some pretty good acts. And, um, I, you know, I just really, I, for some reason, I really enjoyed it this year because yeah. I felt like it was the first time back not post-pandemic, right. but kind of post-pandemic right. where you could just be yourself and be in a crowd. Right. So I know that's going to be one of the things, like I say, my prediction is that they'll, they'll probably bring this format back next year, mm-hmm. again, because th- this year there were a lot of variables. And, and, and obviously, at the end of the day, they're trying to look and figure out, okay, what's for the long-term success of the festival and generating money for the vendors? I, I don't know. And, and that'll be that'll be an important factor is how do the vendors feel about it? You know, did the vendors make more over three weekends than they did over the course of the, fe- the, the, the original 11 day run? And it was it more of a hassle to have to be there three weekends instead of two. I, and I, I, I don't know the answers to those questions, but there's some really smart people down at Summerfest and they'll figure it out. You know, and it's interesting when we find out all these details and how, how well it did or, or whatever. Um, the people that I did talk to, there were a lot of people from out of state, a lot of people from even out of the country when I was doing news stories down there. Um, it's just really interesting. The crowd that it draws in mm-hmm. from all all over the world. Yeah, and that, that'll be another interesting thing, because it's funny you should mention that, because actually somebody I was talking to 
um, said that they were coming up from Chicago and they saw almost no car. Normally, it, it's like packed with p- people from Illinois. Yes. And again, it's anecdotal. But they said, I, I was through the parking lot. I saw very few cars from Illinois when you typically see a lot when it's consecutive days. I, again, I, I don't know. It's, it's all these different factors. And I don't know that there's a right or a wrong answer. There's a better or worse. And I, and I actually, I, I, I think I said, I think the jury is still out. And I honestly don't know how I felt about it. So Well, you may have another year to figure that out. I think that's it. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So, yeah. But but Summerfest 2022, mm-hmm. credit to everybody for for pulling it off, um, especially with, I felt so bad with not only the Justin Bieber thing, but I think you had four or five of the other like side Wilson. stages, right, that, mm-hmm. that canceled, you know, Because out. of COVID or, or some other illness. Right, Sean Mendez, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. I guess, no, he was later on. But, I mean, right, all these different acts that you have to kind of rebook them and stuff. So it is a challenge. We live in challenging times. All right. Hey. Um, tonight, it, this is it's it's the beginning of of the end. If you are a, a pop culture fan like I am and a TV fan, you will you probably somewhere along the line you probably came across um, Breaking Bad, the the TV show. Breaking Bad debuted in January of two thousand eight, I, I believe, and you know for the last like fifteen years it, it's been you know, an ongoing part of TV canon. And after Breaking Bad, the show ended. What they did is they did like a prequel called Better Call Saul, which featured one of the characters from Breaking Bad. And, you know, that's had a run of five or six years. The last six episodes of Better Call Saul start airing tonight. It's on AMC and on, I think, Hulu and some of the services. But the last six episodes start airing tonight. And after that, you think that that's pretty much it. So it really is kind of the end of an era. I was actually a couple my wife's out of town. A couple of people said, you want to do something tonight? And I said, yeah, well, what I want to do is I want to stay home and I want to watch TV and I want to see, you know, the first of this final six episodes of Better Call Saul. So if you're a fan of Breaking Bad and you're a fan of Better Call Saul, um, it, it is it's all kind of coming to an end, and um, they left off with quite a cliffhanger. But that show starts tonight. Just a reminder, it is back. When we come back. Six more murders over the weekend in Milwaukee, including two people murdered in a shootout in a parking lot outside one of the most prominent Mexican restaurants in town on Mexican restaurants, Mexican grocery stores on the south side of Milwaukee. We're going to talk about what that means. Big picture. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Well, The criminals have not gotten the memo that crime in Milwaukee is supposed to be improving. Um, Over the weekend, six more homicides. There's at least that means there's been at least 112 this year, at least 112. And and actually, I think by the time you factor in what happened over the weekend, I think it's going to be more than that. This time last year, there were 86. And last year, we set an all-time record for homicides in the city of Milwaukee with 193. And like I say, this year, we're already like 26 homicides ahead of, of last year. So the, the criminals are not getting the message. Now, the Milwaukee police, with the mayor, held a uh, press conference last week, and they said, well, you know, it, the good news is that, that crime is down in, in the city. And and yes and, and no, crime is down, but only compared to last year, which was all-time records. I mean, for example, let's just see. Um, 
non-fatal, well, non-fatal shootings, 429 this year, 428 same time last year. So that's about the same. Motor vehicle theft, which I know I make a big deal about, down, you know, a, a little bit. Last year, there was 5,100 car thefts this time. This year, there's only 40, there's been 4,400. So yeah, that's good. But of course, two years ago, there was only 1,700. So it's, it is true that crime is slightly down from last year's all-time record highs, but you almost have to say it, it, it really had nowhere to go. If you look at two years ago, crime is up dramatically. And, and so I still don't think we have a very good handle on it. But what is getting a lot of attention is, of course, is just the, the randomness of, of the shootings. They happen at, at all hours of the day or night. They happen in all locations. And there appears to be no pattern. What I know has gotten a lot of people's attention is what happened outside of the El Rey Mexican grocery store on Cesar Chavez Drive. There's three El Rey grocery stores. And, and if you've grown up around here, you, you know that these are this is a very famous grocery store. People go to these different stores um, that they, they cater to the Hispanic community. And what happened on Saturday about like 10 o'clock in the morning, and the details are still a little bit sketchy, but apparently somebody armed came into the store. He was chased out of the store by one or two security guards, and then a gun battle ensued in the parking lot. One of the security guards was killed. The the person who was chased out of the store, he was killed by another security guard. And, and the details, again, are kind of murky right now. The family of the man who was killed, uh, they, they say this story is kind of being misrepresented. One of the, the women quoted, for example, on Fox 6 says, I just feel like my brother, that was the guy who ended up, I think, shooting one of the security guards, was wrongfully accused of stealing something from the store. He did not come with intentions to steal anything from the store. He didn't come with intentions to hurt anyone. They profiled him and chased him out this door. They pushed him out the door, chased him to the end of the parking lot, tussled with him on the ground for them to pull out a gun and shoot him. This is wrong. The sister says he had no reason to steal, and he was profiled for wearing a mask and having a backpack. I, I, well, he also had obviously had a loaded gun. So I, I don't know exactly what the story was and how th- this all led to it, but all I know is at 10 o'clock or 10.30 in the morning on Saturday, outside a, a prominent grocery store, you've got a gun battle that, that's going on in, in the parking lot. And more details will, of course, uh, emerge about the circumstances that led to this. But, you know, two people are dead, but the thing is more and more people could have died the you know people who I, I think at the store or affiliated or close to the security guard who was shot say hey this guy's a hero he, he stopped what could have been a mass shooting so obviously there's divergent opinions on on what occurred but th- this is 10 o'clock in the morning at a grocery store on Cesar Chavez Drive and it's accompanied by you know another you know four murders over the course of the three-day period not to mention shootings our number is 855 61620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, once we have more details about what happened at El Rey, we'll, we'll be able to kind of break it down. But the one thing that we know is gun battle, parking lot, two people dead. Um, this, this is the type of thing that hits home because it is that type of randomness 
that I think gets people's attention. You know, it always used to be, okay, don't put yourself in a position, well, if 2 o'clock in the morning, like what do I always say? You know, nothing good happens outside a strip club at 2 o'clock in the morning. Well, okay, this isn't 2 o'clock in the morning outside a strip club in a high-crime neighborhood. This is 10 o'clock on a Saturday morning when people are doing shopping, and you end up having a, a gun battle. 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And nobody has any clue, I think, really, as to how to stop this. It's just we're in a cycle of violence that I don't think anybody figures out how to get a handle on. So what I want to talk to you about is, is this affecting, is the possibility and the potential for violence affecting your decisions as to where you go and what you do? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, if you're thinking about going to a, an outdoor festival, for example, if you're thinking about, I don't know, going to a, a public park, if you're thinking about, I don't know, going to some other sort of location, are you concerned about the potential that you could get caught in the crossfire? Are concerns about crime, whether it's homicides or shootings or car theft or robbery, or whatever, is it starting to affect your decisions as to where you go and how you get there? 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I will be honest with you, does it stop me from going places that I otherwise would go? No. Do, Do I think twice? Absolutely. Do I try to become more aware of my surroundings? Absolutely. Because otherwise, I think any of us could be victims. 855-616-1620, we discuss in a moment. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Iconet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And, and I did want to make you aware that the, the, the police haven't identified the, the name of the person who was shot by the who shot the security guard was shot by one of the other security guards at El Rey. Um, there are reports out there that the person who was what who was what we're going to call the the shooter, um, the non security guard people was another person who was had been released on on bail and had actually jumped bail. But that that's not it's not confirmed yet. Although that that's going to be the other aspect of the story is that the guy who was involved in that shootout. At least there are some reports out there suggesting that that there was he was out on bail. He had jumped bail on another another offense. We'll we'll wait and see until they release it and look at his record. But that's something to watch for once they release the name of the man. Look at his record, and um, it is possible again based on at least the information I have. That, that this is somebody who was out on bail um, after jumping bail. But th- that's, the I guess, the smaller sort of question. The larger question is, is the randomness of crime starting to affect your decisions as to where you go? Tom in Fort Atkinson. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Hey, thank you, Jeff. Thank you for what you do and bringing Yep, you still there, Tom? Uh, to okay. answer your question, yeah, yeah, I, yeah I'm still here. Uh, so I'm from Fort Atkinson. I usually come out for brewer games, summer fest, festivals that happen, you know, Festa Italiana and things like that. I purposely have moved the area just because of the violence that's been around in Milwaukee, um, as well as, you know, regionally or across our nation as, a, as what's been going on lately. Uh, I have a family of three, um, with three kids. Um, and I, I purposely keep them away now just because you never know what's going to happen. Yeah, no, th- thanks for the call. It, it's, 
I, I will tell you how this affects my life. And, and I, look, I, I go downtown all the time, all right? I, I refuse to live my life under a cover of a cloud of fear. At the same time, though, I, I always admit to thinking things through. Okay, where are we going to be? Where where am I going to park the car? Um, you know, all these, these different factors. I mean, I went to Summerfest Thursday night in the evening. Before that, we went to a, a wonderful restaurant in downtown. But I mean, these are the different concerns that, that are, are out there. And you do play this off in your mind, thinking, okay, what's going to happen in this situation or that situation? But it, you'd be foolish to just simply say, well, I'm going to ignore all this. And the scary thing, like I say, it's, it's the randomness of this that, I mean, I, I'm sure that you had many people, for example, that were shot Shopping at El Rey grocery store on, on Saturday morning, and the last thing they thought of was this is all of a sudden you're going to have a gun battle in a parking lot um, on, on a Saturday morning. And yet, those are the types of things that can, in fact, happen. Triplet in Milwaukee, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. What's up, Wagner? How are we doing today? I'm well, thank you. What do you think, sir? So, you know, today reactivity, I must go outside and order or, you know, I have a get to I'm sorry, your your cell phone is kind of breaking up. I think what you're saying is you have to go outside, but you're concerned about it, right? That's that that's that's the thing that that's out there, and you know, it's one thing for people who, for example, don't live in the city. You know, you you can make those sort of choices. Gee, do I want to go down there, and do I want to, you know, do, where am I going to park my car, and do I want to go to this place or patronize that place? The flip side of it is for people who you know live in some of these particularly high crime areas, you you don't have any choice. I mean, that's you you are there, and you have to deal with. Gee, I came out, and my car has been stolen, or the windows of the car have been broken out, and the car has been vandalized, or you know, I, I hear gunshots. You know, one street over. Those those are the realities of what end up going on, and it's it's what the scary thing is. And I, I wish I had an answer. Look, I I understand. I, I have I come at it from a law enforcement perspective. I, I think that we need to toughen up approaches. You know, turning you know dangerous people loose on bail and expecting that they're going to show up or expecting that they're not going to commit other crimes is foolish. And unfortunately, we have a lot of foolish behavior that's been going on. But but that's that's just the tip of the iceberg. You got people. People with no impulse control. You've got people who are carrying guns. You have people who are willing to use those guns. You put all of that stuff together, and you get a very, very volatile mix. And I will tell you, whether it's the court system, including the DA's office, or the cops, or other people when it comes to putting money into public safety, until we can do something to get the people that are inclined to commit these crimes off the street, it, the rest of us are just going to have to live with this constant fear that, hey, today's the day that you go shopping and that gun battle might, in fact, break out. And that's really no way to live. I have a correction to make. I mentioned at the start of the segment that there were six homicides in the city of Milwaukee between Friday and Sunday. I stand corrected. There were seven. There were, were seven. So the, the official count is 112 uh, homicides in the city so far this year. That, I think, is low. I think that doesn't include necessarily some of the carnage that went on this weekend. Is this affecting some of your choices? Let's talk to Justin in Fond du Lac. Justin, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Um, it's definitely affecting uh, affected me and my uh, close friend. We were going to go to Summerfest. And we were worried ourselves about just how the random shootings, a straight bullet. But what really affected uh, our lives the most was both of our parents and other close family members 
were it just gave them a lot of anxiety um mm-hmm. like my mom almost felt you know seemed like she was gonna have a panic attack just the thought of me having to go to milwaukee and you know mm-hmm. stop at an intersection and a stray bullet goes go through our car you know and so we didn't end up going. Yeah, well, you know, and some people might so say, it's well, it's perception, it's not reality. But the truth is, there is a degree of reality to it, but the perception does become the reality. No, I I, I understand. And I will tell you, I mean, I, as somebody who was down at Summerfest most of the weekdays, I, I, I didn't feel unsafe at Summerfest. You know, the, the parking lots are controlled. The you know you've got to go through a metal detector to get in there. So I mean I, I I didn't feel unsafe at Summerfest. I go to baseball games. I don't feel unsafe at American Family Field. But again, those are the controlled settings. The the scarier thing maybe is the uncontrolled settings where there's not metal detectors yeah, and there's not security guards. Like five years ago, if I would have told my uh, my mom and dad, hey, uh, we're just me and uh, my friend, we're going to go to Summerfest and see. Just one, you know, one uh, concert. They don't, you know, they want to be. Oh, great! Have a great time. But uh, it's just the perception, like you said, has changed. I think that drastically over just the random, you know, carnage over the past several years. That it's it's yeah. really it's affecting, you know. Well, I, I thoughts in a negative way, and it's just yeah, I, to, I get it. That. Yeah, Justin, thanks for the call. And I, I mean, I, I just I, I kind of relate to this because, like I say, do I do I still go downtown all the time? I, I mean, you know, and I, I don't let this, you know, the the fear that gee, your car could be stolen or something like that. It doesn't. That's that's just not how I live my life. But at the same time, I do kind of think things through more. They're like, okay. Where are we going to park? And, you know, what What are the, the situations? Is it in a controlled parking lot? And what? how are we going to do these different things? And it is something that's kind of in the back of my mind. And I think, and this is for somebody who's grown up in the Milwaukee suburbs and is used to going downtown, if I'm making that calculation, I can only imagine how it is for people who don't always come down and, and come into the city. And it's just, it's a darn shame. There's just no question about it because there's so much vibrant stuff that is going on. And it's why we just absolutely have to get a, a handle on, on crime. And I don't have all the answers other than, like I say, people who shouldn't be out on bail or shouldn't be on the streets um, should be off the streets. And I guess that that's my starting point of all this. Let's talk to David. David, you're on WTMJ. Yes, uh, good afternoon. Hi, David. Um, I'm a sales that covers uh, Chicago, Milwaukee, Rockford, Madison, whatever. Um, you know, I go on North Avenue in, in Milwaukee all the time, get a, uh, whatever, a corned beef sandwich. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it doesn't bother me for myself. You know, I drive an old beater car, you know, so they're not going to carjack me. They just look at, you know, a regular <laughs> guy. But I don't, take, I don't take my family out, you know, to any of these places because it's like, you know, then I'm concerned, but for myself, I'm, I'm fine. Yeah. So your your car is like an old car. You're almost, somebody might always almost want to come up to you and sell you a new car. Hey, man, you know, I got the, I've got this car here. You know, here exactly. you want to buy it? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I. Well, you know, I feel bad for all those people in the in the neighborhoods when they have a nicer car, and the poor people they just want to have a decent car, yes. and then they get robbed or carjacked all the time. It's like, well, it's. It's sad. No, it is sad. No, thanks for the call. And that's 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 one of the things that absolutely infuriates me. And if you're a regular listener, I was telling the story about a, a friend of mine who's. I hope she doesn't mind me saying she's in her kind of in her mid sixties, and she you know lives uh, her her daughter and I think her granddaughter live with her, and she's she 
she has a car, a car. And, you know, she went down. She was on kind of like an area around Brady and Farwell on a Friday afternoon. And she comes back, and she's one of the several thousand people who are suddenly one of the over 4,000 people who are, are victims of car theft. And, and the, the, car is, the car is gone, and the cops find it like 12 hours later, and it's pretty much totaled. or the, you know, uh, and, But it, it's just stolen for the sake of, of being stolen. And, y- yes, was she robbed personally? No. But the, the inconvenience, now you've got to figure out, okay, how am I going to arrange transportation? And you've got to figure out, can I get the car repaired? And you've got to make the insurance claim. And then you, you've got to jump through all these hoops. And I, I tell you, my, my guess is it's going to be a cold day and you know where before she decides that she's going to go back down into this particular area for, you know, for dinner on a Friday night because it's just not worth it. And I understand that, you know, anybody anywhere can end up being a victim of crime. I, I get that. But at some point in time, you, you've got to kind of play the odds and you have to say, well, these type of things are not happening in these type of numbers. You know, if you're Again, out in in Waukesha, could you or Washington County or whatever, could you be a crime victim? Of course, you could be a crime victim anywhere, but it is disproportionately going on in the city of Milwaukee. And again, it's the randomness that's going on that I, I think is really ending up getting people's attention. And it's why what happened outside El Rey, you know, very prominent Mexican grocery store on Saturday morning, that that's really getting people's attention because you're thinking, okay, th- this is this is a place you go. You're getting your groceries for the week or whatever. That's the last place you expect a gun battle to break out. And again, keep stay tuned because once the police release the name of the man who was involved in the shooting, not the security guards, I think it's going to, based on what I'm learning, really raise some of these these questions that we ask constantly about you know the, the court system as well but we'll wait for the police to officially confirm the, the identity of the person who was shot by one of the security guards who presumably shot the other security guard um, and we'll have more details about that relatively soon I think let's talk to Chris in Madison Chris you're on WTMJ good afternoon hi, hi Chris. Um, I uh, tuned in just a little, little bit ago and um, yeah, my aunt lives, or she actually lives in Green Bay, but she's come down a number of times to visit her kids in Milwaukee. She has a Kia. It's been stolen three times. Um, I have a friend who um, was shot by a stray bullet at work, working construction, got hurt pretty bad. Um, I live in north of Madison, and uh, the guy that shot up Highland Park, uh, he was scoping out a festival very close to where we live, and we're getting to where, you know, we don't want to go to the state fair anymore or Summerfest or mm-hmm. anything because it, it's just like it's getting to the point, what's next? What, what us was a little close to home. I mean, yeah. we thought we were in a well, mundane, right. safe place, and it's just, it's like it's like a disease. It's spreading everywhere. Well, it, it is, though, Chris. You know, the, they, yeah. No, no, thanks for calling. I, I get it. Now, again, a lot of the places you're talking about, I mean, State Fair, Summerfest, American Family Field, the, these are controlled settings. And, I, and I'm and i going to give you the perspective of somebody who goes to Summerfest and goes to State Fair and goes to American Family Field. I do not feel unsafe at any of those places. But again, they're, they are in a controlled sort of environment. Now, that doesn't mean that that, that, that a shooting can't happen, but to get into the state fair grounds, to get into the Summerfest grounds, to get into American Family Field, you've got to go through metal detectors. There's a huge security presence. There's a huge police presence. The problem is that they don't have that 
everywhere. You can't have that everywhere. And and yet we, we have the streets that are being overrun by people who, like I say, and I don't mean to flip about this, but they've got the impulse control of, of fruit flies who decide that whenever there's some sort of altercation, they're going to pull out their gun and they're going to start shooting and they don't care who they end up shooting and they don't end up who they end up care who they end up killing. And, you know, you couple that with the car thefts and the carjackings and the other wise robberies. And you do, if you're not at least being aware of your surroundings and your circumstances, I think you're doing yourself a huge disservice. I'm not saying don't go to places. I go to places. But you do have to kind of think this through. There's no doubt about it. If you follow me on Twitter, and it's at Jeff Wagner six twenty, I, I have a I have a posting that I I just want to share the general content with you because it it is interesting how things go in the the woke world and 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 you're going to have to follow me on Twitter because I I guess I just don't my goal in life is not to get called into meetings and and so I just I I don't know if you can even mention this word anymore apparently you you can't put it in the local newspaper now there there are a number of venues all across the country that I don't know have have the, we're going to call it the S word and it's they've been named and it's it's a term which is determined to be i guess i think insulting and offensive to native american people but the the problem is there's all sorts of places that are that have this this name and it's going to be the s word and what's happening now is there is a push to try to change the, the names and say look we're going to change the S Lake name to Amber Lake or, or, or whatever, because we don't want to be uh, offensive. And, and I appreciate that. Um, and actually, as I say in my tweet, I have no problems changing the names of these locations. And I agree that the word in the name, the S word, is outdated at best and is offensive to some. So, I mean, I, I have no problem. Times change. You know, our sensibilities evolve. I have no problems with changing these names. What I think is interesting, though, is apparently in 2022, we can't even mention, we can't even print the name of the lake that is now subsequently going to be changed. Here's the headline. I've got a link to the, the story in the it, – it's, it's Gannett newspapers. It's in the local newspaper, but it actually, I think, appears in the Green Bay Press Gazette. Wisconsin is changing 28 place names that slur indigenous women. Here's where they are and what the new names might be. The U.S. Department of Interior officials are working with Wisconsin Department of Natural Resources to change the names of 28 places in Wisconsin that have been deemed derogatory towards indigenous women. Most are bodies of water, such as rivers, lakes, and creeks. Most are in northern and western portions of the state, but some are in northeast Wisconsin. Okay, so you, you read that story, and, and what is the first question that comes to mind? Well, okay, what what is the name that is being changed? And... In the local newspaper, you apparently can't mention the name. Here's how they refer to it. The term, quote, S-Q dot dot W, end quote, 
may have started as a mispronunciation of an Algonquin word for women, but over time it has taken on a significantly more derogatory meaning. The term was used to name places in Wisconsin by white settlers mostly in the 1800s. U.S. Department of Interior Secretary Deb Hogland recently signed a directive that declares, quote, SQ dash dash W end quote, a derogatory term against indigenous women and implements a process for replacing the names of places that ter- that term across the country. And then if you look at the story, and I've got a link to it, they list, let's see, 24, they list 28 different locations throughout Wisconsin where the, this particular name is used. Now, I don't want to offend you, and I don't want to get called into meetings, but the way it is reported, <laughs> they've got page after page of these lists. For example, in Oconto County, between Surring and Coleman, there is little SQ-W Lake. Then there's in Oconto County, between Surring and Coleman, there's, quote, SQ-W Lake. And it goes on and on and on. And again, as I said earlier, I, I agree this is an outdated term. I understand why people will have be offended. I don't have any problem with changing it, but I just you know, the, the wokeness has gotten to the point that you now can't even mention that word that has been a, a common part of parlance for decades and decades. You can't even mention it to the point that if you were going to refer to it in the newspaper, apparently the, the style people are saying it's got to be SQ dash dash W. So I mean... Seriously, if, if you're going to do that, why don't we just, I mean, say what the, the word is? No, no, I'm not going to say it. Not going to say it because I don't want to get called into meetings. But at some point in time, has, has wokeness really kind of gone around the bend? And again, I, I don't have any problem with changing the name of some location from, quote, SQ-W Lake to some other lake. I don't have any problem with that at all. But the fact that we can't even acknowledge in print what that name's lake has been and what it still is until it's changed demonstrates to me, once again, political correctness completely and totally out of control. Oh, to be young and to be woke. Yes, as a number of you point out, banning the S word from locations does cause some problems with history. For example, Lou and West Alice says, well, Jeff, we had a worldwide Olympic competition at SQ-W Valley, California. That's correct, 1960, Winter Olympics. How do we scrub that from the history books? Well, I don't know. Good Good question. Um, Very, very good question. Jeff, do the local people in these areas want to change the name of these lakes? Because if not, they should leave it alone. This is a local issue. Oh, no, no, it is not a local issue. No, this is this is the Department of Nat. This is the the federal government that is now determined that we, we have to make these changes because regardless of how the local community feels about it, this is an unacceptable term. Uh, Jeff, if this is a word that was taken from the English, the Indian language to begin with, why is it disrespectful to use it in names of lakes or rivers or something that has importance to us? I think it's not disrespectful at all. Quite the contrary. Well, I don't even choose to get into this discussion uh, because that ship has already sailed. I'm just saying that uh, now we, we can't even 
mention the word on this. Um, yeah, um, that's it. Somebody says, why, why don't you just say the word? for?" No, 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 I don't want to get called into meetings. Jeff, don't you understand this is offensive? Somebody's going to be offended if you actually say the word, so we're just going to call it the S word from now on and or the SQ dot dot W word for now on. So that that's it because again we we want to, I'm trying to be more woke as I get older. So don't don't want any of those those nasty texts saying I can't believe this is what you said on the radio. So I'll just use the form that they're using in the newspaper where this word no longer exists as we used to use it. And by the way, like I say, I don't have a problem if if people are offended by it. And you want to change the names of the location? That that's okay with me. It's just the idea that this word can no longer be used in public that's where i I find the the wokeness to be out of control live from the annex wealth management studios this is the jeff wagner show and now wtmj's jeff wagner number of people waiting in on our last conversation now the s word that you cannot mention if you want to see the full story about that you can check it out uh, follow me on twitter it's at jeff wagner 620 somebody says well jeff there, there's a weather phenomenon known as a squall line can we still mention that and the answer is is yes you can still say as far as i know you can say there is a squall line moving through but be sure to enunciate carefully lest you know somebody misunderstand that you're using a different S word when you mean to say squall, S-Q-U-A-L-L line. As far as I know, that term is still okay. But that's as of today. Who knows what's going to happen tomorrow? All right. Let us completely and totally switch gears. Over the course of, gosh, the last several years, but particularly since the November of 2020 election, there has this been this, this preoccupation with election fraud. And as, and I know when I say this, I know that I irritate people on both sides of the aisle. I do not believe that the election in 2020 was decided as a result of fraud. I, I don't believe the election was stolen. What happened, as best I can explain, is there was a vagary, an inconsistency in Wisconsin law. You had a number of election clerks in primarily urban areas, primarily Democrat-leading areas, who, because of COVID, decided to, based on advice they got from the Wisconsin Election Commission, decided to interpret these laws liberally, small l, liberally, to kind of juice turnout and make it easier for people to, to vote. And, you know, you can argue about whether or not, you know, that that's a desirable thing or not. But but they did. I don't think there was any evil intent. They go to the Wisconsin Elections Commission and say, hey, can we have drop boxes? And the Wisconsin Elections Commission says, yes, you, you can. So, I mean, that that's not a, a crime. We now know, because of a ruling from the state Supreme Court, that the, the decision by the Wisconsin Elections Commission, the WC, to say to these clerks, yeah, you can use drop boxes, we know that that was wrong. But it wasn't. It, it wasn't criminal. It was just, hey, this is how we interpret the law. And the Supreme Court says you interpreted it wrong. So it, that to me isn't an election that's stolen. It's not fraud. It just, again, underscores what happens when you have people that have, have different interpretations of law. Now we know the answer. To, to me, when you're talking about fraud, you're actually talking about people who would not otherwise be entitled to vote who vote. Whether it's, hey, you know, somebody died 10 years ago and they cast a ballot, 
or people voting on multiple occasions. Hey, I, he voted here, and then he went and drove somewhere else and voted somewhere else. That, that to me, is, is the out-and-out fraud. And there, this has been examined ad, you know, ad nauseum, and there's not examples of, there's no significant examples of, of fraud that would have changed the results of, of the election, which isn't to say that we, we need to get our act together and we, we should make clear, you know, what the law is with regard to drop boxes. Well, now that's been determined. You know, what's the, what's the law with regard to things like democracy in the park and stuff like that? Let's either clarify the law or let's get the rulings and then so everybody knows what the ground rules are. And for everybody, and I was reading all these over-the-top things over the weekend, oh, this is so terrible that they've eliminated these drop boxes. Drop boxes didn't come into existence until November of, uh, until the 2022 elections, where be, uh, 20, the 2020 elections, where because of COVID, you know, we were trying to do the, these things to so people could vote with having to, uh, without having to have contact with, with other people. So this idea that, oh, it's the end of democracy, that we, we say that, you know, you can't use the drop boxes. I mean, give me a break. You know, we, we conducted elections before 2020 without using the drop boxes and everything worked out fine. So as somebody who really doesn't oppose using drop boxes, if the legislation were there to allow it to happen, I, I'd be OK with that. But this idea that, oh, this is just so absolutely terrible. It's going to be the end of the world. I mean, give me a break. It's this overhyped rhetoric designed to, you know, gin up your base and make them outraged about this. It just it, it, go, it goes way over the top. But when it does come to real fraud, you know, people voting when they're not supposed to vote or voting twice, that that's something that I think needs to be addressed seriously. At the same time. I think there needs to be some degree of discretion. And I want to get your reaction to this story. Actually, it's the the Madison paper has this story. So here's the deal. You've got a couple who are in their 50s who actually had never voted before. At least the the wife had never voted before, November of 2020. And the the lady, what we'll call her Jamie, she, she wanted... She wanted to vote because she was a big supporter of Trump and and she wanted to vote. So her and her husband, they went out and they voted for Trump. They now find themselves charged with election fraud. You might say, okay, they're being charged with election fraud, which, by the way, you know, is is a crime. It's a felony that they would face up to three and a half years in a prison and a maximum fine of $10,000 each. So you might say, well, Jeff, if they're guilty of election fraud, of course they need to be charged. Well, let me tell you what they did and then get your reaction. These, th- this couple, um, they do not have a permanent address. They, they, they don't. It's not like they have a house or they have an apartment. Apparently, she is from... Louisiana, um, they lead what they call a mobile life. She met her husband when he was working in Louisiana. They got married in 1989. A month later, they moved to Madison. He, he works on farms, and as a result, he, he moves from farm to farm. You know, doing doing work on, on these different farms, and they'll stay like in season. They'll do this, and then they'll go somewhere else. They don't have an apartment. They don't have a house. They live in a forty-two foot pull-behind camper. 
All right? So they move from location to location. So they don't have a set residence. So what they did, which is what a large number of other people, dare I say large number, like maybe over 100 people, what happens is they use, they have a mailing address at a UPS office. So that, that's, that's their address. That's where they get their mail. Otherwise, they're, they're just, they're on the road. They're, they're moving. So what they do is they register to vote, um, and they use their UPS box. They use their UPS address as their residence. And then they go out and, and they vote. And apparently, I think up in Fond du Lac, I've got the numbers. Let's see. There are 30 UPS stores in the state, and 117 people throughout the state have those addresses on their voter registrations. Okay? So they're, they're registered. That, that's how they have registered to vote. So the November of 2020 elections roll around. This couple goes out. They, they vote in Fond du Lac which is, you know, where the the UPS thing is. Well, under state law, it is apparently illegal to use, you know, anything other than, uh, again, a a residence. And UPS stores, these mailing things, don't apply. They're they're not considered residences. So this was an invalid residence. And they they go out, they they vote. They voted for Trump, as a matter of fact. Okay, so then what happens is... Apparently, there's this guy who was pushing the whole idea of election fraud, and what he does is he finds the the hundred or some people that are registered at these UPS stores who he checks the voters' records, and he says, okay, there's these people, and they were using, they used, they actually went out and voted, and they used their UPS store registration as the place they voted, and he, he then refers these people, this is a citizen, you know, contacts the local district attorneys and says, hey, look, the, these people, they registered at the UPS store. The UPS store is not a valid address. And look, it, it turns out that they voted. Okay. The district attorney in Fond du Lac County has now brought felony charges against this couple for using the, for voting, again, using a, an improper address. They they didn't vote multiple times. This was just the address they had. And they will be the first to tell you that they made a mistake in using the UPS place as, as a place to register. But it's the only address they had. And apparently, like, nobody at the clerk's office caught this. Nobody said this isn't a valid address. They let them register using this address, and then they went and voted. Now they are being charged by the Fond du Lac County District Attorney with felony voter fraud. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do you think about bringing felony charges against people who were, by the way, legitimately entitled to vote? They, they, didn't, they didn't vote three or four times. They weren't pretending to be somebody else. They just used, as a registrar location, they used a UPS place, which apparently they're not permitted to do, and yet the clerk's office didn't stop them from doing it. They went ahead and voted. Is this the type of thing that you want to see resources spent on prosecuting them, 855-616-1620. My answer is, if this is all the district attorney has to do up in Fond du Lac, why don't you come on down to Milwaukee and deal with the real crime that's out on the street? But what do you think? 
I'm sorry, but this is just infuriatingly stupid. The, the, the prosecutor up in Fond du Lac County, who's Eric Tony, who's running for attorney general, he's one of, running um, one of the Republicans for attorney general. This, I, I don't know if this decision is politically motivated because he wants to appear tough on election fraud. I would be tough on election fraud, but I'm sorry. This is one where any responsible prosecutor just says, no harm, no foul. If you're just tuning in, here, here's the deal. that This couple in Fond du Lac, um, well, they, they're, he works as a, as a, trav, as a, works on farms so they, they have like a mobile home they don't have a residence they they move from location to location their mailing address is a ups box that out of a fond du Lac. so they want to vote this is the first time they voted they go to vote for trump as a matter of fact so they register using the ups address and then they go out and, and vote okay they didn't know that that's not legal in the state of Wisconsin. You have to use a a residence as opposed to like a P.O. box. They didn't know that. There's about 100 plus people in the state of Wisconsin who actually do that. So there's no criminal intent here at all. So they cast their votes. Now they're each, husband and wife, looking at felonies that could put them in prison for three and a half years. Another district attorney up in La Crosse, he apparently got notice that there were 15 people who had voted using these addresses. And, and his response was, I'm not going to prosecute. This isn't, this isn't fraud. I mean, this is a mistake that people made. And, you know, we, we got to tell them that they can't do it again. But I, I'm not going to try to put people in prison. 855-616-1620. I'm sorry, to waste public resources and if the purpose behind this is well the law is the law well i'm going to tell you as a perspective somebody who who prosecuted federal cases for you know a long time you use your discretion you say what's going on here what are they trying to accomplish were they trying to vote illegally or did they make an honest mistake? And, and maybe should the clerk's office ha- have caught that? And is the clerk's office, are, are they then guilty of kind of aiding and abetting for allowing the people to register? And, of course, the answer is no. This is this was a mistake that these people made. And I, I think it's a really, really bad precedent to say, all right, you have these people who, who made a mistake. They've got a unique set of circumstances, but it's clearly an honest mistake. And now we're going to we're going to talk about fining them $10,000. We're going to make them hire a lawyer. We're going to look at three and a half years. Is this really all you have to do up in Fond du Lac County? Give me a break. Let's start with Gianni in Montello. Gianni, you're on WTMJ. Yes, Jeff. Uh, I'm not too far from Fond du Lac. Yeah, uh, let the DA go ahead and charge them because ignorance is no excuse of the law. And then when the judge gets a hold of it and throws throws the case out, um, then we're going to charge the district attorney for governmental prosecutorial malfeasance, and then we'll see where the where the judge uh, decides on that. But it is clearly a waste of taxpayer dollars, and that is yeah. malfeasance. Well, no, thank, thank, well it, it certainly, it, I would say, in my opinion, it would be an abuse of discretion. A lot of text in this. Jeff, my first thought is that what address should these people use? And my answer is I don't, I don't know. I, and, and what is the answer for these type of people that don't have a permanent address? Are we going to disenfranchise them in their vote? Well, I will say this. My, my guess is this couple is never, ever, ever going to vote again. It's like the first time they, they go out to vote. Again, the irony of this is that they, they voted for Trump. This is, you know, we, we talk a lot. I mean, it's their 
Republicans are talking about this election fraud that's out there. They, they voted for they voted for Donald Trump because they really believed in him, and now they find themselves being prosecuted for this. If I were a district attorney, I would not have issued charges. Um, now I might have second thoughts about voting for this guy for attorney general. Well, that's. I mean, I mean, I don't know. And I look, I understand a couple of people are texting me with Jeff. The law is the law. Don't don't you understand? It says that they weren't supposed to do this. And I understand that. I I get it. But there's always discretion that goes into play. We don't charge people with going 38 in a 35 mile an hour zone. But it's the law. You could technically do it. Well, we don't as, as a practical matter. I think you've got to look at intent. What were these people trying to do? All right, were they trying to scam the system? No, they wanted to vote. They wanted to participate. They don't have a residence, so they, they used their mailing address. And nobody argues that they knew that they they were trying to, to scam the system. They go in, they register, clerks accept this, and, and next thing you know, you're, you're looking at, at these kind of charges. To me, you just, well, the, the story I'm looking at, you know, one of the people describes this as, a hammer in search of a nail. Yeah, that's that's kind of it. And if we were talking about meaningful election fraud, of course, go after them, prosecute them. If these people had voted twice or three times or four times, of course, go after them. But all they did was use the only address they had to register. They were allowed to register at that address. They were allowed to vote. Now it turns out that that was incorrect. Okay, it's a mistake. Sorry, but do you really want to bring them into the criminal justice system? Kathy, Kathy, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. As ridiculous as this sounds, if a district attorney is going to charge the couple with a felony, then if the clerk helped them commit this felony, shouldn't they charge the clerk too? Well, that's, you know, by at least accepting that, you, know, you would think that at some point in time when they go and they register and they use a post office box or whatever, somebody would have said, no, I'm sorry, you, you can't do that. You know, it's this is an invalid registration. It, it's why I think it was a mistake all all around. And, and that that's what it is. It's nothing more, you know, than a mistake. Now, thanks for the call, Kathy. I, you know, one of our texters said if they were staying at a campground, they should have used the address of that campground. And, and I think that's, I don't, I don't know, you know, where they were staying, but if they were, in fact, if they had their RV at a campground, that the texter is absolutely right. That would have been, you know, what your location is, I, and, and that would have been the proper way to do it. And I don't think in that case, as long as they had been there for long enough, that I'd, I'd think that would have been fine. But that, that kind of misses the point, I guess, of the conversation. Yes, they were wrong in what they did. They made a mistake as to how they went about this, and... But at the same time, we, we all we all make mistakes, and just because you can turn it into a, a felony, we, we don't always do that. And the bigger picture is, and this is what I ask a lot of times when I'm looking at criminal charges that are brought, what is the purpose of it? What purpose is served by having the judicial system charge these two people and fine them and put them in prison? What What do we accomplish? And the answer is probably nothing let's focus our judicial resources on trying to get the i don't know trying to take the people who are you know multiple drug dealers and felons in possessions of guns let's get them off the street huh isn't that a reasonable position just another example of, of how life is short and, and just what an 
awful disease cancer is. Uh, Rebecca Blank, who was the former University of Wisconsin-Madison Chancellor, she had stepped down at the end of this, this past academic year, and she was supposed to start um, in a similar position at Northwestern University. Um, they, they announced uh, today that she's uh, not going to take that, that position. She's giving it up because apparently she, in the last week, has received a diagnosis of uh, I'm gonna, what they're describing as an aggressive form of cancer. And she says, it's going to require all my strength and resolve to fight. And she says, look, um, you know, I, I know what being, I know what this job entails. And candidly, given the, what my health is and what the treatments are, it's just impossible to do this job. So rather than, you know, undertake a new position that I just can't physically, you know, do right now because all my time and attention is going to be spent to fighting cancer, I'm going to step back. And I just, I, if you're a regular listener of this program, you know you know my story. My my first wife passed away through an aggressive form of cancer over six years ago, and it's just it's just out of the this, this stuff happens out of the clear blue. I, I mean, who who knows? You know what? My guess is it probably completely and totally blindsided um, Rebecca Blank. You know, she takes this job. You're thinking, oh, this is great. I'm, you know, I'm moving on. I've got this this great position. I'm going to Northwestern, etc. I'm looking forward to these new challenges. And and my guess is that the diagnosis came as a complete and total surprise. Maybe you have some minor symptoms or something, and you think you're going in, and I'll, oh, I don't know, maybe I've got, I, I don't know, maybe my, my gallbladder is going bad or something, and next thing you find out, it's terminal liver cancer or whatever. So I, I, I bring this up only because the, the operative thing, and I think the swing thought for all of us, needs to be life is short. And there's, you know, John Lennon said it, other people said it as well, but life is what happens while you're making plans. And, and sometimes that, that life can have really like different twists and turns. And while I would never encourage people to be irresponsible, I do also say you, you've got to realize that if there's opportunities to do things and you keep saying, well, I'm, I'm going to put this off and I'm going to put that off and I'm going to put this off. You just, you got to be careful because you just never know when, you know, life can come up and just, just gobsmack you and I, I feel I wish Rebecca Blank absolutely the best and as I do anybody who's had one of these kind of surprise diagnoses of cancer and everybody else who's out there fighting cancer it is just just a dreadful dreadful disease all right let us switch gears I've said on this program on multiple occasions that you could not pay me enough to be a police officer nowadays you you just you, you couldn't, and there's a variety of reasons for that. The the disrespect that, that's out there in general for police officers, and I and I understand you have that that occasional bad apple, but that's that's not where the overwhelming majority of police officers are. You have some police officers who are better than others, and I, I get all that. But in general, you have the people who've made this decision to go into law enforcement, and based on my experience and my belief. Almost all of them have made the decision to go into law enforcement for the, the right reasons. But nowadays, you have this generalized disrespect for police officers. You have some people who are trying to convince others in the community that the police are, in fact, the enemy. Um, that's, of course, until there's a murder next door, and then, then you know, they, they want the cops there right away. But you, you have all these things that are going on. And on top of that, you have the constant scrutiny and second-guessing that, that goes on in the, these situations where, you know, you're a police officer. What was the story we were talking about last night, that's, that last week, that's created all this stuff out of um, the story out of um, Ohio, I believe it was, or Indiana, where you have the police officer who, who goes to pull somebody over. Two o'clock in the morning, the car takes off. 
right? They, they run on him. The police officer is then starting to chase, and the guy you know, leans out of the car window and fires a shot back at the police officer. Then ultimately, you know, the chase ends, guy gets out, runs on foot, and ends up getting shot by several police officers who think he's still got the gun and is reaching for it. And now there's this huge scandal, oh, did the police overreact, all these things, when the reality is that none of this would have happened if the guy in the first place hadn't fled from the police. And none of it would have happened if the guy, while fleeing from the police, hadn't turned around and taken a pot shot at a, at a squad car. And, and when you do that, all sorts of bad things are, are going to happen. But it's the police whose actions are, are being second-guessed. And that happens all the time. And one of the things that now happens, in addition to the second-guessing, is everybody's got cell phones. And everybody, whenever they see an interaction between police and citizens... Now everybody wants to pull out the cell phone and everybody wants to record it. And sometimes it catches, sometimes it's in context, other times it's out of context. But this is, you know, you got somebody that's struggling with the police, everybody's got their cell phone out and they're filming this so somebody can then go second guess whether the police officer was correct or not. Which brings me to a new law that was just signed in Arizona. And I want to talk about it with you and get your reaction. The governor of Arizona just signed a measure that makes it illegal for people to record videos within eight feet of police activity. And the way critics say about this is this limits the effort to increase transparency around law enforcement operations. What it says is that essentially the thinking is there's little reason for bystanders to be within eight feet of an on-duty police officer. So what this law says, it doesn't make it illegal to film police officers while they're having interactions, but it says you can't be within eight feet. So in other words, the purpose of this is to keep that person with the cell phone from getting too close to the officer while he or she is trying to go about what they're doing. So it, it's so they then get caught up in the, hey, you're right on top of the cop when the cop is struggling with somebody trying to make an arrest. If you want to film them, you can film them, but you have to be eight feet away. Now, there are exceptions. Somebody on private property is still allowed to film. If you're in a vehicle stopped by the police, so if you're, you know, you're pulled over and you want to pull out your cell phone and the police officer comes up to your door, you, you can still film that if you're in the vehicle. Um, but Or also, if you're the subject of a police contact. So if you're stopped for jaywalking or whatever, you, you, you can film it. But if you're a bystander, the thinking is you don't need to be within eight feet of the cops. All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And by the way, and this is what's upsetting some people in the media the most, there's no media exception. So if you're a quote-unquote journalist, you can film the cops, but you have to stay back by eight feet. What do you think of this? 855-616-1620. Is this unreasonable? We discuss. You know, we're not going to talk about it today. Maybe, Maybe tomorrow. I do... I find it interesting that uh, Scott Walker has decided to play in the Republican race, not only just by by endorsing Rebecca Clayfish, which isn't a surprise because she was his lieutenant governor during his eight years he was in office, but also, you know, coming out 
where he's kind of aggressively going after you know, Tim Michaels, who is uh, Becky's number one challenger. I just again, it's it's interesting. I I was kind of a little surprised that uh, Tommy Thompson decided that he was going to issue an endorsement, and I'm kind of surprised that Scott Walker's decided to do ads. It's going to be an interesting couple weeks. The primary is coming up in August. Right now, we're discussing this law that they just passed in Arizona, which would make it illegal for people to video a police officer who's performed his duties within eight feet of where the officer is. And there's a couple exceptions, but but th- this is designed to stop the bystander who wants to you know get the film from getting too close to the officer. I have no problems with this at all, but some media types in particular, oh, this is outrageous, you know, this is getting away from transparency. Well, you can still film the cops doing the stuff, but once you get within like eight feet and that's kind of the perimeter they're talking about, you know, you risk, you know, if you've got an officer, for example, who's struggling with a, a defendant, and defendants do struggle from time to time, so you want to get really close so you can get the views, well, okay, next thing you know, you know, you're you're in the cop's way, and you yourself might run the risk if you get caught up in this thing. Um, Jeff, as a retired law enforcement officer, my thought is if these people are going to get within eight feet of a police action, maybe they should put the phone away and help the officer if he's by himself and looks like he needs help. Otherwise, by getting that close, they are just causing a distraction for the officer, which affects his safety. And I guess that's kind of how I, I thought about this. I, this idea that, all right, I'm trying to imagine, all right, you, you've got a suspect who is struggling with you, right? You're trying to figure out how to subdue the, the subject get him to comply, last thing you need to be worrying about is somebody who's right over your shoulder sticking a cell phone in because they want to get the video. And again, I'm not saying that you should, and I, I, you know, and I apply that to, to the news media as well as ordinary citizens. It seems to me that anything you need to get, you, you can get from eight or ten feet uh, away. Um, Jeff, I think eight feet, it's not really that close. I think it should be like 20 feet. You can always go and zoom your camera. Jeff, I think it should be at least eight, 15 feet. I have no problem with this at all. Um, yeah, now I, I understand that it's, and somebody was saying, well, what if it's eight feet one inch? Well, I, again, this goes back to what we were talking about the last segment with regard to you know discretion that prosecutors have. But the bottom line is, it's kind of like you know you've got that rule on the side of the road where if you see a police officer that's got somebody pulled over and you've got the flashing lights to the extent you can, you're supposed to pull in that other lane to to give them some give them the. Uh, not put them in danger and give them the ability to do their job. This is kind of the same principle, it seems to me. If you're involved in a struggle with a suspect or something, you, you, just don't get too close because once you get too close, you're in a situation where, first of all, the officers have to, you know, worry uh, about you and you know also you know the officer doesn't know what's going on for all all you know the officer's trying to struggle with somebody and and you know get them under control next thing you know there's somebody right on your back your your obvious thing is going to be okay what's this person going to do jeff i think bystanders shouldn't be within eight feet of a police interaction whether they have a cell phone they're not or not they just complicate the situation by giving away by giving the cops more concerns and they can become collateral damage want to film it step back 
widescreen is in fact better. You know, actually, I know that that's true. I agree with a couple of the other sentiments, though. Sometimes when you have these police officers that are involved in a struggle, maybe instead of like egging on the bad guys or standing there with the cell phone, maybe people should be starting to think, is there something that they can do to help the police officer if you've got the guy that's reaching for their gun or whatever? Jeff, I think when an engagement starts, it should be considered a crime scene, no different than an automobile accident. Keep back and let the police and emergency people do their job. Jeff, I don't think this is unreasonable. There has to be some distance for both police to do their business and for bystanders to be safe and well. I also feel that police should not have to look over their shoulders to assess bystanders who might possess a threat as well while addressing the current exception. The exclusions to the law seem appropriate. Yeah, it's, I, I guess to me, this was very similar to in active crime scenes investigations. What happens? The cops come in and they put up the police tape. You know, we, we've all seen that. And they say, you know, don't cross the, the police tape. They, they have a job to do. And again, it's not a lack of transparency. If you want to stand there and you want to film people doing stuff, that that's okay. But you don't need to be right in the grill of people while you've got an active police situation that's going on. Jeff, I think it's a great idea. I would make it 30 feet. You know, the media never shows the out-of-control crowds that threaten the police whenever there is some kind of issue. Jeff, I think this makes good sense. Great to see the government requiring safety for the police. Yeah, that's precisely what this is. Now, again, the, the stories, you read the stories in the New York Times, you read the stories in the Washington Post, and the media is all that up in arms. This even applies to media people. I'm sorry, a reporter doesn't need to be in a cop's grill if you're filming, uh, again, an active law enforcement situation. You can do it from 10 feet just as well as you can do it from 4 feet, and you maintain that safe distance. I say yay to Arizona. One of our texters says, Jeff, I don't think this Arizona rule is unreasonable, but it's almost unenforceable. No, Your Honor, I was actually eight feet, four inches away. And my response is, my guess is that it's a practical matter. In the real world, this is only going to be used for people who really choose to get right on top of the officer. And probably then after a warning, you know, the officer says, back off. And then the person, again, gets right up in the cop's grill. That would be my guess in the real world. Hey, speaking of the real world, um, tough week. 2022 has been a tough week for a tough year for celebrity deaths. Lots and lots of, of passings. And, and maybe it's just, you know, from the perspective of us boomers, you have some of these people who, you know, were just famous actors or musicians or whatever who've just reached that age where, you know, time catches up to you. But the big story last week was, of course, James Kahn. Um, most probably most famous for his portrayal of Sonny Corleone and The Godfather. He passed away at the age of 82. Over the weekend, Tony Sirico, probably not as well-known, but Tony Sirico, probably best known for his portrayal of Pauly Walnuts Gutierrez in The Sopranos. He was Tony uh, Soprano's like assistant, one of his loyal aides, who actually made it through the entire show. <laughs> there weren't many of those people that made it through the whole run of the show, but he did. He passed away at the age of um, 79. Um, he was suffering from dementia. His story was kind of interesting because he was kind of a mini mobster in real life. I mean, he grew up as a stick-up guy in, in New York and then found acting a little bit later on. But um, Tony Sirico passes away as well. Just a, a tough week for people who portrayed mobsters. Back with minute, much more in just a couple minutes, including Don't California, My Milwaukee. 
Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. I have a friend who um, is from the Los Angeles area, and he and his wife. Actually, it was one of the. It's one of. The, it's both a compliment and kind of a cautionary tale because they tend to be from the opposite side of the political spectrum. And he came up to me not that long ago and said, "You know, my, my wife has started listening to the program a lot, and I, she kind of gets angry because she finds herself agreeing with you. You're you're bringing her around on certain of these issues, and then she says, "Wait, you know, I'm a California liberal. I'm not supposed to be agreeing with this." You know, conservative from Wisconsin, but he makes sense on some things. So it's always kind of the, the standing joke. But I, I know one of the things that they always tease me on is when I use the phrase that I used right before the uh, start of the the right before the news, which was, you know, don't California my Wisconsin or don't California my Milwaukee, because my experience has been if you want to look at a lot of the just but dumbest, that's B-U-T-T, but dumbest ideas they they come out of out of California, and it's one of the reasons why I think you're starting to see this mass exodus of, of people from California because it's they, they try all these things and it sounds great in the real world, but then you get it into the real world and it doesn't work and it costs a whole lot of money and people say, hey, this is you know this isn't working. I mean, this is this is San Francisco, for example, one of the most liberal communities in the country, where they elect this extremely soft on crime district attorney who decides that they're pretty much not going to prosecute anybody for anything. And what happens? The already out-of-control crime rate spirals, and so they end up recalling the district attorney. It's like, oh, gee, who who would have who would have thunk that something bad would would happen let's let's elect somebody who's running for office on his pledge to not lock anybody up and let's wonder where this happens which brings me to the latest idea which is catching fire in california i want to explain it to you and then i want to discuss whether or not we should be doing this here now if you are a regular listener of this program you you know that i i think when it comes to inflation i've said this before i think Joe Biden has pretty much gotten everything wrong. And I understand that that's a big statement. But when it comes to the economy, I think he's done pretty much everything wrong since since he took office. So he took office. And, and you're starting to see the results of that. High gasoline prices, he wants to blame it on Putin. And, and part of it is, you know, supply disruptions caused by the war. But that's only a, a factor. That's only one aspect of this. When you have Joe Biden as a candidate and then as a president who says to the oil companies, I want to put you out of business. I, I don't want you around in the next 10 years. I, I want us to go to renewable energy. I want us to go to electric cars. I, I want I want to, you know, we're going to go after it. There's going to be no drilling. There's going to be, you know, no new development, period. I, I, I want these companies to go away. When you say that to, for example, an oil company, you say that I'm going to be overly hostile to you. Then, of course, gas prices go up. Then you're trying to pass the buck and blame somebody. So you go to the oil company and you say, well, I want you to increase production. 
And the oil companies say, wait, wait a minute. You're, you're the guy that's telling us that you want us to put you out of, you want to put us out of business. So you're telling me that you want us to spend, I don't know, $500 million developing a new refinery, for example. And yet you're still saying that you want you, so you want us to produce more, but you're still saying that you want us to go out of business. Well, sorry, you can't have it both ways. And again, it's, it's just an illustration of how just flat out dumb the Biden economic policies have been. And I think, look, at some point in time, and I've said this before, you know, the, the renewable energy might catch up with the, the technology might be such that people make the decision to voluntarily go to electric cars. But we're not there right now. We're, we're not going to be there for five years or 10 years or 15 years or 20 years. So to have a government that's openly hostile, say, to the people that are producing the fuel that we're going to need for all of us to drive our cars is just crazy. But Biden's Figuratively speaking, he's in bed with the, the hardcore environmentalists, the people who don't like nuclear power and they don't like coal power and they don't like natural gas and they don't like oil and they, they like wind power and solar power, which is great. But there's not enough of that to generate the electricity we need to, well, I, I don't know, operate cars and warm our houses and things of the like. So this brings me. But the idea is let's use government to force people to change their habits. So that's it. We're going to use government. Government's going to threaten the oil companies. The oil companies aren't going to produce enough gas, so people aren't going to drive as much. Well, no, that's not what happens. The gas prices, people drive just as much, but the gas prices just go through the roof. So here is the latest thing moving through California. Story in my hands today from the L.A. Times. More and more communities in California, including many around San Francisco, and some who are considering this outside of L.A., what they are considering doing is passing laws which would ban any new gasoline station from opening up. No new gas pumps would be the ideal. No new gas stations, no new gas pumps, no new nothing. So what is existing well, you could continue to exist. But let's say you came in and you've decided, you know what, I think I can I think I can make some money. And there's this vacant street corner or there's this corner that's been out of it's out of business or whatever. And what I would do is I wanna I wanna go get myself a, a franchise for, for whatever the, the oil company's gonna be, and I wanna invest my money and I wanna I wanna put up a gas station on this particular corner. Well, the rules right now is that you would not be allowed to do that in many communities. And the, the idea, the proposal is that we're going to prohibit any new fossil fuel pumps in the cities, and we're going to require that any expansions of current gas stations be limited to serving zero-emission vehicles and providing non-fuel-related facilities. So no new gas stations, no new gas pumps, and if you wanted to expand your service station, it would have to be to, again, service uh, electric vehicles. What could possibly go wrong? Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, now, in fairness, in certain communities, you know, we have, for example, liquor laws, liquor licenses. And there are there are rules 
which limit the number of liquor licenses that can be issued in some communities. And the idea behind that is, gee, we don't want a particular community to be overrun by by bars or whatever. So there's only X number of liquor licenses that can be there. This is sort of the same premise. No new gas stations, no new fuel pumps, and if there are going to be new things, it has to be exclusively electric. 855-616-1620. What do you think about this idea, and should we consider doing something like this around here? 855-616-1620. We discuss. So glad to have you with us. This is the the latest example of a bad idea that is starting in California, but has the potential to spread, to ooze itself around the the rest of the country. So here's the deal. California has decided cars bad, internal combustion engines bad. So what they are doing, and a number of communities are starting this trend, they they are banning any new gas stations and any new gasoline pumps on existing gas stations. So what you have is what you get. And as one of our texters makes the point, so just to remind you, to make the legislation worse, um, gas stations normally redo their pumps and tanks every 20 to 25 years. Said so the legislation would not do, let them do that as well. So no new gas stations, no new gas pumps. And and yes, if you're, you've got older gas pumps, you couldn't, You couldn't retrofit the stuff, put in new ones. The idea is we don't like cars. We don't want people driving. So let's make it as difficult as it possibly can be for people to find gas that to operate their cars. So and this is see, this is the plan. This is what Biden bought into, which is why when he whines about gas prices, it's so infuriating. Biden is part of the environmental left who believes that gas prices, high gas prices, are, are, are a good thing because it makes people drive less. At least that's the theory. Now, we see in practice that's not how it's working out. All it does is people spend money on other th- or stop spending money on other things to afford the gas. But this is the idea. If we make it impossible for people to refill their tanks or alternatively, we force all these gas stations out of business. So there's fewer gas stations around. That means the prices are going to go up. People are going to have to wait in line to buy gasoline. And so they'll, they'll stop driving their cars. In Southern California, really? I mean, seriously? You know, who thinks of this thing other than these sort of pie in the sky intellectuals? My firm belief is that this, this is not a matter for government to pick and choose. This is a matter for Again, the consumers to decide. At some point in time, once the technology behind electric cars becomes affordable and they work out the kinks with regards to batteries and recharging in a timely period, at that point in time, people are the market's going to take over and people might decide to start buying the, these cars in significant numbers. We're not at that point right now. But for the government to be saying, we want to make it as difficult as possible in the, in the spirit of global warming for people to be able to refill their gas, their, their cars, to me, it's just not the role of the government you know, um, 
period. And there's no question about it. Jeff, this is another example of the government limiting free enterprise. Government should not be able to tell people what to charge or where to operate. It's my money. It's my choice. And I should be able to, you know, do it. Just look at what the president is doing with regard to the electric automobile industry, proposing a $12,500 rebate for all electric cars purchased, excluding those that were built in a non-union factory. The government is supporting the unions. I guess it's because the unions support the government. Right. That's that's the idea that's going, you know, on there. Um, 855-616-1620. Jeff, when the e-car technology catches up with gas-powered cars, then we can legitimately consider the proposal. Absolutely no sooner. Well, my point would be when the technology catches up, to when the demand catches up to the supply, you're not going to need to consider a proposal like this because it's going to be the free market that, that operates. And that's what it should be about all the time. Jeff, I don't think Quick Trip will ever let that happen here. That's a very good point about the whole Quick Trip phenomena. And, and I've talked about Quick Trip in different contexts. I think Quick Trip is just an example of an incredible success story. And I know I've said this before. I think, you know, a community is lucky when a quick trip comes in, not just that so much because of the gasoline, but, for example, because of all the other stuff that the quick trip brings. Quick trip has, has figured out how to do it right. You know, they're, we've talked about this before. They're clean. They've got, you know, they've got the fresh bakery. They've got, you know, the, the produce. They, they've really set themselves up as, as much more than a convenience store. But Quick Trip is desirable to move into a community. So if we had something like this, for example, Quick Trip wouldn't be able to have any new, new places. Quick Trip would not be able to say, hey, there's a, you know, there's this particular community. We don't have any Quick Trips in there. There's this vacancy. There's this, um, this storefront or, or whatever, this, this corner location. We've been looking at it for a while. We think it would be an ideal place to, you know, bring the Quick Trip brand there. But no, the, the government's going to tell us we can't do it. Not because it's bad business. Not because we couldn't make money. Not because there wouldn't be a need in the community for it. But just because they don't like the fact that we have, um, you know, we have gas stations that are around. Jeff, maybe we'll have to go back to the horse and buggy. Well, that's that. You got to understand. That's what. That's what some of the more fringe environmentalists want. They want to force people out of their cars. They want to make it so expensive and so so expensive to drive and so difficult to drive, whether it's we're not going to allow cars in certain areas or we're going to make it almost impossible for you to fill up your car with gasoline or things like that, that you'll just throw up your hands and you'll say, okay, I'm, I'm going to now take mass transit. That's not the way most people operate. But more importantly, it shouldn't be the way that government forces people to do those things. If government wants to offer people the options, okay, I'm cool with that. I don't have a problem with it. But to say we're not going to allow there to be any new gas stations is just the height of insanity. And yet this is being embraced as, oh, what a wonderful idea, at least by the kooks out in California. Don't California my Wisconsin. You know, as we talk about the world, really, every once in a while, it just goes, 
it's absolutely crazy. And we've talked about a couple of these, these topics today on, on the program about words that you can't mention and and the, the idea that, okay, we, we can't have gas stations anymore. And th- this is one of the, these latest stories, and it, it's created a, a huge controversy. The, the concept of what is a woman? Now, you, you would think that, that this wouldn't be, be hard because, you know, you've got boys and girls. You've got men and women. And the, 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 the idea that there, there's really any in-between is just kind of boggling, mind-boggling on me. USA Today published a piece on, on Thursday that's gotten all sorts of controversy saying that um, there, there's really no simple answer to, you know, what, what, is a, what is a woman. And, of course, many of us are sitting there saying, you know, what do you mean there, there's no conventional de- definition? I mean, you know, you, if, if you're born with a penis, you're a male, and identify as a male, then, then, then you're a male. And if you're born without that and you're a female and identify as a woman, you're, you're really a, a woman. But the whole concept is, no, 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 it's, it's much more complex than that. To which you, you want to say, okay, really? Now, I understand that there's transgender people. I understand that there's people who are born with male body parts who identify as women and, and vice versa. And I appreciate there's a role for that. But at the same time, you know, wh- what is a man? Who is a man? You know, who is a woman? These, at least it seems to me, are not complicated issues. I mean, they're, they're just not. Can you have people who are biologically born male who identify as women? Of course you can. And I have no issue with the whole transgender stuff. But this idea that, oh, well, you know, we, we, we can't, we don't know. It's a complex issue as to what is a man and what is a woman. No, it, it's really not. We might choose to make it a complex issue, but it's really kind of, of straightforward, at least the biology is kind of straightforward, and it is interesting to me that in 2022 we're kind of twisting ourselves into pretzels, trying to, I don't know, say, well, okay, you know, we, we don't really know if that person's a man or if that person's a woman. No, it, it, it goes back to the basic biology, doesn't it? You a fan of Breaking Bad? I am. Okay, Was, better call still, yeah. better call Saul. Absolutely, yes. Big night tonight. I know. I'm excited. Well, I'm I'm excited and sad. It's like right. bittersweet. Well, right. I mean, for people, I mean, Breaking Bad. I, I it started. It debuted in January of 2008. So it it ran for five plus seasons. Mm-hmm. I think over like six or seven years, and then they they brought back Better Call Saul, which is like the prequel that kind of shows how. How the the Bob Odenkirk character, the lawyer Saul, became that, and but it's taken on its own life as well, and so that's been going for a few years, and now the the final six episodes air tonight, starting yeah, tonight. I know it's uh it, it's what a ride it's been, and you know what, the Better Call Saul. I I don't know about you, I didn't think it was going to be good necessarily, right. and I certainly did not think it was going to be like rivaling Breaking Bad as far as fandom goes. I I agree, and it, it's and it really did, and I thought it kind of started off slow yeah. um and i was like huh you know what's what's this going to be but it's really it it's really kind of built to a crescendo and and um i i'm kind of curious as to how they wrap 
wrap this all up in with only six hours left. And it it ended about a month ago. The the first I think the final season is thirteen shows. Mm-hmm. They had seven, and it ended with this huge cliffhanger. And now it, it picks it up again. And I I, I will tell you where I'm going to be at eight o'clock tonight, which is in front of a TV set watching this. Not a lot of not a lot of TV shows garner that kind of a. Uh, I need to be in front of the television at whatever time it airs to watch it live, or else I'm going to feel like I'm behind in all of your group chats and stuff like that. So no, this is definitely one I'm going to be in the same place you are. I'm hoping. Okay, well, in, well, same position it, you same, are. Not same position, same different. I, you're, you're more than welcome. To go. My <laughs> wife's out of town, so you're more than welcome to, to come over. I got a big screen TV and stuff like that. But yeah, it's um, so better call Saul. The final six episodes uh, start start tonight, so everybody wants to watch that. Um, when we come back, well. All right. The the whole idea is, well, lock them up or not. I'll explain. We'll discuss. Still waiting for more, at least police confirmation about the the shooting outside the old Ray grocery store on uh, Saturday morning. Um, The... The, the informal reports tend to say that there was an individual in there who, who caused the disturbance. He was chased out by the two security guards. Informally, what I'm hearing is that he fired a shot at one of the guards, and another guard returned fire. One of the guards was killed. The sh- initial shooter was killed. The, the family of the shooter is saying, oh, he, I, they, they were just harassing him. He wouldn't have been there to steal or anything. The police haven't officially released his name, although he's out there. Once they do, I'm going to have some comments because, again, the initial reports are if the if the shooter was who at least the, the reports are it raises all sorts of questions including why was he out on bail for other crimes to be to begin with but we'll you know we'll, we'll leave that question for when they officially announce who the guy was and what his background was and it will trust me if it's who I'm being told it is it's going to raise more questions once again again about the legal system than it has answers speaking of that Brett Kavanaugh member of the you know United States Supreme Court and one of the people who was one of the architects of the Supreme Court decision overturning Roe versus Wade which has created all this angst and all these protests and things like that he, together with a couple other of the justices, have been targeted by the radical left. And there, there have been, outside the, the residence of Justice Alito, outside of the residence of uh, Justice Kumi Bar- Coney Barrett, there, there have been protests. And the, the law is very clear that this isn't allowed. You're not allowed to do that. But the Attorney General of the United States has decided, well, he's not going to enforce that particular law. And you have not only the justices, but also you know people that live on their blocks and in their neighborhoods. They're, they're essentially become prisoners of these out-of-control protesters. The Washington, this is reported in the, the Washington Examiner the other day, and let me get the exact language. There is a kook group that is actually funded by the D.C. service industry workers. So this is a, a union operation, and they're, they, they call themselves Shut Down D.C. Here, here's the Here's one of the things that they put out. D.C. service industry workers. If you see Kavanaugh, these would be Supreme Court justices, Kavanaugh, Alito, Thomas, Gorshitz, Comey Barrett, or Roberts, DM, direct message us with the details. 
will venue $50 for a confirmed sighting and $200 if they're still there 30 minutes after your message. So what they are asking is for people who work at like restaurants in Northern Virginia or D.C., they're saying, if you see one of these justices in your place, contact us and we'll give you $50 if we can confirm that they were there and $200 if they're still there after 30 minutes. All right. So what, what's the difference? What, what's going on here? Well, let us be honest. What they're trying to do is they are trying to stalk, intimidate, and protest where they're trying to find these justices in public so they can descend on where they are and create chaos. Wednesday night, uh, Justice Kavanaugh was out to dinner at, at Morton's, which is a, it's a chain. It's a D.C. steak place. And uh, apparently... While he was eating, I, I presume somebody did exactly this, and all of a sudden you have uh, tens of these protesters shut down D.C., who had previously announced this bounty. So you have these protesters that show up outside the restaurant and start yelling and, and screaming and creating a disruption, demanding that the restaurant toss him out and things like that. So he's become the latest target of this. So apparently what happened is he, he has his meal, and then he has to leave by the back door because you've got all these kooks that are outside that have tried to locate him, and, and they're protesting. And, of course, you know, it's... It's an uncomfortable thing for Justice Kavanaugh. It's an extremely uncomfortable thing for the restaurant because now you have all these people who are are stalking them. And the restaurant's going, well, we've got all these other patrons who are, who want to come in and dine. So, you know, but yet they see all these crazies that are out there screaming about Kavanaugh. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It is one thing to show up at the Supreme Court. And, and protest. It is another thing to go out to the homes in the private neighborhoods of where the justices live. It's one thing, it's another thing to show up there and protest. But this idea that we are now going to put out a bounty on public sightings of justices, and you know, we're going to give you 200 bucks. If, you know, within 30 minutes, when we get our mob there, if they're still there, we're going to give you 200 bucks. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, it's funny because th- this group says, well, we're, we're not, by doing this, you know, we're, we're not in giving you, you know, authority to go in and harass them or get physical with them, but we just want to, I don't know, find out where they are so we can rush people there to create a protest. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If this isn't stopped, somebody's going to get hurt. And I don't know if it's going to be, you know, some nut that takes a shot at one of the justices. I don't know if it's going to be some patron at one of these places that gets in the way of one of these kooks that are out there. But somebody is going to get hurt unless this gets stopped. And it is illegal to, again, you know, demonstrate and do these type of things at 
you know, with regard to Supreme Court justices for the purpose of changing their opinion. That is precisely what this is. But I guess in, in today's day and age, in the Biden administration, it's okay to go out and threaten and intimidate and harass conservative Supreme Court justices. Well, unless something is done, something really, really bad is going to happen sooner rather than later. And I think it is appalling that this group shut down D.C. is essentially putting bounties, encouraging people to give out the locations of where they see these Supreme Court justices so that like flash mobs can be organized to harass them. 855-616-1620. Anybody involved in this should be absolutely ashamed of themselves. And if something bad happens, you know where the blame lies. At least that's what I think. What do you think? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. So there's this outfit out of D.C. called Shutdown D.C. They are paying a bounty to people who give the locations of public sightings of Supreme Court justices, conservative ones, so they can organize flash mobs to run out and harass these people, the Supreme Court justices, in, in public. And I got a couple texts saying, well, it's good. They, 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 they said that there wasn't a constitutional right to abortion, so they get what they deserve. Well, okay, you know, to which I would say, what hypocrites? I, I mean, seriously, if you had something like this going on involving an, an AOC or involving... Um, some of uh, Sonia Santamayor or whatever, and you had conservatives that are saying, find out, when you see these people in public, let us know, and we'll put a bounty and we'll give you money. You, you know that you would, you would, there would be outrage. It would be front page stories in all the newspapers about how there's this bounty system and somebody's going to get hurt, and this is these evil Republicans who are, are doing this, and there's going to be some crazy out there that does something against them. And you, and you know, and that those arguments would be right. But this idea that, well, since it's the Supreme Court justices and six of them voted to overturn Roe versus Wade, they get exactly what they deserve. Well, you know, it's one thing to protest. It's another thing to stalk and harass. And that is precisely what's going on. And I feel sorry for people who do not understand the difference. Let's talk to uh, Dennis. Dennis, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, Jeff, uh, my great question is, uh, what do these morons get paid to protest, and who's paying the $200 for the hot lead? Well, that, thanks. I mean, I, I don't know. This is, I mean, it, it's this organization the organization called Shutdown DC, which I'm, I, I think it's a fair question. Where do they get their, their money? And my guess is it's a, it's a combination of left-wing activists and, you know, union operatives or, or whatever that, that are out there. Look, and I understand you have a right to protest. You don't. The law, though, is very clear that you cannot protest outside Supreme Court justices' homes. It's very clear, but Merrick Garland, the Attorney General of the United States, refuses to enforce that law. And the at least one of the justices lives in like Montgomery County, and the Montgomery County authorities they refuse to enforce that law. You can bet. You can bet your bottom dollar that, again, if the situation were reversed and there was a liberal majority and you had conservative activists who were doing this sort of stalking and harassing, clearly in violation of the law, at least at the homes, you know darn well this thing would be enforced. But but here's the bottom line. And for people who think it's cool and the AOCs of the world who, well, this, this is, don't, don't you understand what they did with abortion was just absolutely terrible. They get anything they deserve. Some crazy is going to take this too far. That is the logical effect of this. And rather than trying to 
dial down some of the rhetoric. What you have is you have people who've decided that it benefits them. Maybe it helps to, I don't know, turn out their voters to, to get them excited. Maybe it helps to generate political contributions or whatever. So the idea is let's try to ratchet up the, the rhetoric. Let's try to take a heated situation and let's try to turn it into an overhead heated situation. But then somebody's going to be surprised when one of these crazies who gets this idea, hey, it's, we're, we're part of this flash mob and they've just seen justice so and so here. Let's run there. And you get together with the mob and something bad ends up happening to, to someone. Maybe, maybe not the Supreme Court justice, but maybe, I don't know, somebody outside the restaurant that's trying to stop the people from going inside. Or maybe it's some patron or whatever who's walking through this crowd it it could be anybody but this idea that we can do whatever we want because well we're the entitled left and and don't you understand we're on the moral high ground because i don't know these justices overrule roe versus wade and isn't this terrible and they deserve everything they could possibly get well okay be careful what you you wish for because at a time when we're trying to Again, figure out how we can dial down some of the rhetoric and and how we can move to at least a slightly more civil environment. This is the type of stuff that demonstrates how far away we are from that because you have some of these people who think it benefits them to, to do it. And the sooner that is stopped, the better. Like I say, there's a difference between showing up at the Supreme Court and waving your signs and protesting and stalking people at their home or harassing public figures when they're out in public. But I guess when the left does it, some people think it's okay. Problem is, it's not okay, and it's going to lead to all sorts of trouble.